I've been a sales rep. I've been a junkie. I've been an athlete. I've been a sales manager. I've been a VP. I've been an entrepreneur, an author. So like right or wrong, I feel compelled to talk about those different kinds of experiences. Welcome to Rep Your Brand, a podcast for B2B marketers who are looking to build their career through a strong personal brand. Rep Your Brand is hosted by Nick Bennett, one of LinkedIn's top voices on field marketing and personal branding. In each episode, Nick captures stories on how to overcome the challenges marketers face with growing their brand. So if you're a marketer looking to open doors and create opportunities that you never thought were possible, then listen in to get tangible tips and strategies to build your very own personal brand. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Rep Your Brand, a podcast for B2B marketers who are looking to build their careers through a strong personal brand. I'm Nick Bennett. This podcast is brought to you by my friends at Motion. They're a done-for-you podcasting service for scrappy marketing teams in B2B tech. They're two of the nicest guys around, and the work that they do is truly world-class. You can find them at motionagency.io. And today, our guest is Scott Lee, CEO and co-founder of Scott Lee's Consulting, someone that's a must-follow on LinkedIn and someone that personally I've learned a ton from. Scott, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me, Nick. Excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So everyone knows who you are. So let's kind of get into it. And I've heard you talk about this before, but one thing I'm curious about is how do you humanize yourself as a sales leader? What does that even mean? I think to me, it means, you know, are you relatable and not somebody who sits in an ivory tower and gives off the appearance and aura that, you know, you've got a perfect life and you've got everything figured out. So I think you make yourself relatable by telling your story and storytelling is such a big part of marketing as it is sales. And you talk about the good, the bad, you know, and the ugly. So allowing yourself to be vulnerable and open about the things that you've been through and how you got through them and how you overcame them. Sometimes the things that you're going through now, right? Specific example, maybe like, let's say that, you know, I'm concerned about the well-being of my team, the mental health, physical health, this kind of thing. Well, one of the ways for me to demonstrate that I care about this is to take care of those things myself. So in me saying, hey, I have a doctor's appointment or hey, I, I go to therapy a couple times a month and just do things to take care of myself. I think that makes me you know, and any leader seem more real, more accessible, more down to earth. It's like, oh, okay, this person is just like me. Like they're going through some stuff as well. And then that makes, I think, a safe place for your team. If you're a leader to come to you and say, hey, you know, Nick, is it okay if I duck out next week? I've got an appointment to go to. Yeah, absolutely. Take off. So that's what it is for me. Those are the things that stand out. And I'm optimistic. I, I feel like that's starting to become more prevalent. That type of shit, nobody talked like that when I was coming up, right? And I think it's becoming more common now. I think the pandemic accelerated that a little bit. And I think it's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. I I agree with you. It's I've been remote for like eight years too. And it's just, you've really seen it kind of like, like you said, accelerate over this last like year and a half, but it's needed. Like people are going to burn out if you don't take this stuff into consideration. And it starts from the top. Like you said, if you don't have people that are kind of evangelizing this from the top, you're never going to get anywhere. Yeah. Amazing. No, I was just going to say that it really does. And, you know, if you're in a leadership role, regardless of what department, the words are not enough. The actions have to have to be there to, to back it up. And you kind of have to go first. Something for people to think about maybe. 
Yeah, absolutely. And so you write a lot on LinkedIn, like how can your content be more human or how do you feel that your personal brand can help with leadership? How do those two play off of each other? Well, more human, I, I think you have to write about the things that you've been through, first of all, in particular, if you're getting started. Don't try to pretend to be an expert in something if you're not. And people love to hear about failure just as much as success. So talk about the things that you screwed up. Tried this one thing. I thought I was the bee's knees and it was going to be amazing and it tanked. Here's three things that I learned from that experience, right? And people try to give off a aura and a rep of like, they're perfect and they're a massive success and all this kind of thing. And, you know, it works for some people, I guess, but I think it has a negative effect of like, oh, that's Nick's screen face. That's his LinkedIn face. And then, you know, sometimes you talk to people and you're like, whoa, that person is very different than how they appear online. And for me, I really consciously try not to be that person. I want to get on the phone with, with you or, or like meet you for a drink or whatever. And, and you're like, hey, <laughs> you're... I can't even tell the difference between you in real life versus the things that you write about. And I think that should be your goal, you know, to find a way to share the things that you've been through and help as many people as possible while still being authentically you, not trying to cater to any particular master or group of people or an audience or things like that. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you. I actually just put out a post about like that the other day. It's crazy, but it's so true. And so I wanted to ask you, like, how has your brand helped you go from employee to entrepreneur running your own community? Well, it's absolutely massive. I mean, that's the only reason, frankly, that I'm able to do what I do at the scale of that I'm in right now. I actually started building my brand on LinkedIn in particular to make recruiting easier for me. That's why. I thought to myself, okay, I'm, I'm building out large sales teams here all across the country. I need to connect with every single salesperson on the planet. That was my thought process. And I need, and then, you know, as we grow, it's like, I need to add sales ops people and sales managers into my network. So contrary to what everybody tells you, in my opinion, the size of the network matters a ton. Right. I mean, I saved hundreds of thousands of dollars in recruiting fees over the years because of the size of my network. And I'd make a post that says, Hey, I'm recruiting over at Qualia. I'm recruiting at Main Street Hub. And like, boom, people start coming in and I could message them directly and that kind of thing. So I pick up this audience and then I start creating content, if you will. And then just start sharing some of the, the things that I've learned, you know, about selling, about management, about being a VP trying to tell certain kind of real life stories about things that people don't talk about as much. That kind of has become, I think at least a little bit of my brand. Like hey, Scott talks about things that <laughs> are real and other people don't talk about as much. They're not as fluffy. Like he's telling the truth about things, whether it's equity or like how hard the job is, that kind of stuff. And then that, the size of that audience coupled with the value that you've provided, you're now able to spread your wings a little bit and you can pick up side hustle. So in my case, it's like, I've been a VP of sales five, six times, right? Now I have this audience, I have this content I'm creating, and I'm sharing things about how to build and scale a sales team. So people start messaging me, I'm able to start a consulting business on the side. I talk a lot about surfing and the things that I like to do in my life and travel and things like that. So I'm like, hey, maybe I'll have my own sales conference in Costa Rica. So now surfing sales is born. 
Richard Harrison and I partner up with who also, you know, has a decent brand online. And we put the word out there and we sell all the tickets and all the sponsorships for four years, strictly because of the size of our network on LinkedIn and who we know and people want to come and that kind of thing. I write a couple books. I'm able to put the books out there. You don't get rich off writing a book, but you make some mailbox money every single month. And those things help bring you, you know, potentially consulting gigs or help bring you employees or they help bring you attendees to surf and sales events or they bring listeners to your podcast, right? So those books help. And then during the pandemic in March of 2020, I started Thursday Night Sales, which has become the world's largest and longest running virtual sales happy hour in the world. We've had like 15,000 plus people come on Thursday nights to these kind of AMA fireside Zoom chats, if you will. And we have some fun and we have drinks. And I partnered with Justin Welsh for a little while. And then Amy Volos joined us. And then Justin had to go another direction. And so Amy and I have been doing this for a long time. Well, you only get people to come to these things if people think that you know what you're talking about, right? If you have a network and are able to push it out there and draw people in, and you're adding value and helping people on a regular basis, they want to come and, and be a part of that. Well, it started with me figuring out how to sell and figuring out how to be a sales leader. But then it started with like building a personal brand and leveraging my network on LinkedIn. And now I have multiple businesses that in some way, the common thread that has connected them and made them successful is branding. I love that. That's such like an impactful story because I'm similar. And I want to double back to a piece of that on like the community aspect, because like you mentioned, you've got Thursday night sales. I've gone to some, I know so many people that have gone to them that are in my network. I'm big into community myself. Why do you feel community is so important these days, especially as we're like through the pandemic and now even a year and a half later? Yeah. Well, I actually think it started a little bit before the pandemic. I had the idea for Surf and Sales in 2017. And I think 2018 or was maybe the first one that we did, either 2017 or 18. And part of the reason was because I felt like there was a shift coming away from macro. And for a long time, everything had been bigger, more, right? 100,000 people at your conference, chaotic kind of situation. And I felt like we had lost some intimacy and I feel like we had lost a little bit of kind of the experience and really what it takes to know and connect with another human being. And me surface level exchanging business cards or cell phone numbers at a conference that's chaos, that ain't it for me. And so I think that shift started from macro towards micro. And then the pandemic, as I said before, it just accelerated it. Now all of a sudden you've got Lord knows how many workers who, unlike you, were not working remotely before, who have nobody to share ideas with, successes, wins, struggles, tears, nobody to commune with. There's God knows how many people who live alone, right? They can't be a part of their, their team anymore. And they just wanted a place to like hang out, learn, network with people. And just a way to come together and be around like-minded people who are kind of at the same stages or paths in life, right? And they want to feel like they're a part of something. And when you're disconnected in a major, major way, like we all have been, you know, it was a perfect opportunity, I think, for these micro communities, like a Thursday night sales, like surf and sales. There's so many others. There's a wizard of ops community that's in the sales ops world. There's pre-sales collective for like 
sales engineers, the pavilion, revenue collective, whatever they're called these days, that type of thing, Rev Genius, right? So you really saw the need for it and, and people kind of dove headfirst into them. But now you got to keep people around, right? It's one thing to get them there and draw them in. It's another thing to make them stick. And the consistency has got to be there. The value and the, the helpfulness and the resourcefulness that you provide and kind of facilitate through there. And you just got to keep showing up and you, you got to be willing to put in the time. And at the peak of the pandemic, we had four or 500 people come into our happy hours. Things have changed now. Things have opened up. Things are closing down again. Who knows what the fuck is going on, right? But people's priorities have changed, but we still draw 125 to 175 people every Thursday night. And there's not that many Zooms or webinars that I know of that are drawing that number of people consistently every single night. It's because we're always there. They know who we are. They've seen us give back consistently, right? And I think that's a big part of running the community. Yeah. You nailed it for sure. I agree with all of those. I have a failed marketing community. That's It's only about a couple hundred people right now, but it was similar. I started right before the pandemic, actually, because kind of like, you know, you're like marketing ops, one of sales ops, like there was nothing for failed marketers. And it's still like our worlds were changed upside down from this whole pandemic. So like we needed a place to go vent bitch about, hey, you know, these salespeople, it's like herding cats. Like, like what can we do to be better? And I agree. It's been awesome. It's been really huge. So I appreciate you sharing that. So I want to go into how do you navigate cultivating a personal brand while also being real and critical at times? Well, I think that becomes your personal brand. I think you have to be a little bit brave and gutsy to tell people what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. You're going to risk pissing some people off and not being the right fit for everybody, right? So I, I think vanilla is not what you're aiming for. You're aiming for some other flavor, I think, right? So you don't want to try to appeal to everybody. Some people say kind of find your niche and like dig in on that. So like if field marketing is, you, is your thing, like just stick to that. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that advice. But that I found that really difficult because like I am and have been many things. I've been a sales rep. I've been a junkie. I've been an athlete. I've been a sales manager. I've been a VP. I've been an entrepreneur, an author. So like right or wrong, I feel compelled to talk about those different kinds of experiences. And I would keep coming back to this. Like you've got to talk about the things that you've been through and tell your personal story, right? And let people in. They keep coming back, I think, when they when people know who you are a little bit. Those are the brands and the people that I want to be around. Look, there's plenty of people on LinkedIn with more followers than me and hundreds of thousands of followers. And, and I see their content that comes out and it's like milk toast for me. And I think they're worried about upsetting the apple cart and they're trying to appeal to everybody. And I look at their posts and they don't get that much engagement for how many people they have following them. And that's just not me. And I think the generation or two coming up after me is much more aligned and much more confident in who they are and willing to express their kind of authentic self. And there's a bit of the like dichotomy of this like old guard that's like, well, I got to be a politician and appeal to everybody 
or at least when politicians cared about appealing to everybody, right? <laughs> and then there's the kind of the newer guard that's like, hey, this is who I am. I'm here. I'm proud. Deal with it, right? I'm going to make noise. So be specific, be detailed, tell stories that are things that you've been through. Don't be afraid to be vulnerable. Talk about wins, talk about losses, and just give back all the time. And an underrated part of building a brand, I think, is your willingness to engage the audience you have. So if you just put content out there and then don't reply to anybody, right? You don't reply to the comments or even worse, in my opinion, is not replying to the DMs that you get, right? Like, look, we all know the LinkedIn inbox sucks, right? It's a dumpster fire, but it is what it is. And I think part of my brand is like, you know, if I send Scott a message, he replies. It might not reply instantaneously, but like I'm getting a response. And there's some people who don't check that thing at all. And you know, I think you miss out on a lot of relationships and therefore a lot of opportunities by not being responsive. So your responsiveness and your accessibility can become a part of your brand. And that could set you apart in a major way. Absolutely. When I first started kind of posting on LinkedIn and like taking it seriously, I would comment on some well-known people's content. And then I would never get a reply back, but try sending DMs and not even anything crazy, just respectful. Like, Hey, I just want to learn more. And no one, like certain people wouldn't reply to me. I was just like, I'm not trying to sell you anything because we know there's connect and pitch and all that stuff. But it's like, I just wanted to personally learn. And if I was going to add value to your content that you posted, and I don't even get a reply back. It's going to make me not want to engage with you in further interactions. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And I'm for me, I'm very conscious of that. Yep. I don't think that people are out to sell me stuff all the time. I think people genuinely just want to learn a little bit. But I think they also just want to network a little bit and build a relationship, right? And you never know who might be able to help you one day or who you might be able to help. And helping somebody go from point A to point B feels really good. It's one of the reasons you get into leadership is because you have this selfless kind of part of your personality that actually gets more joy and fulfillment from like helping Nick hit his quota helping Nick get promoted, helping Nick become a VP or launch this particular thing, right? And having the ability to do that at scale when you have an audience is very, very rewarding. Is it time consuming? Fuck yeah, it's time consuming. Yeah. 100%. 100%. And I know plenty of people who don't do it. They just march to the beat of a little bit different drum. I'm not built that way and teach their own, I guess. But for me, these are kind of the people and the brands that I most associate with are the ones that are willing to come together, get engaged and kind of see what happens through the relationship. One message becomes one conversation, which becomes one podcast, which becomes, I don't know what becomes, what will Nick and Scott do a year from now, two years from now, five years from now? I don't know. It might be something, it might be nothing, right? But it's worth it to me. Absolutely. I mean, I respect that. I respect the hell out of that. That's, a lot of people have a completely different mindset and I definitely respect like the way, because my mindset's exactly like your mindset. So I definitely appreciate that. You hit on something before and I want to just kind of go back on, you talked about being an author, like what led you to wanting to write a book in the first place? And then like, how did that impact your personal brand from like being an author and actually writing a book? 
Well, I had been selling and coaching this addiction model of sales that I talk about all the time. Find pain, build value, create urgency, discuss solution in that order. And I kept having some people tell me, dude, you got to write this down. You got to write a book. You know, you got to tell your story about what you've been through. And if you don't know my story, the quick version is athlete all through high school, all through college, go to grad school, get a master's degree, 23 years old, get sick, spend four years in the hospital, nine surgeries, four emergency surgeries, addicted to opioids, have to kick off dope, never had a job until I was 27. So people are like, man, you got to tell that story and talk about your sales philosophy and put it out there. So I got kind of pushed into it the first time, to be honest with you. So that's where it kind of started. It becomes a calling card, right? But I think I said before, you don't write this book to get rich, at least not for me at my level, right? Other people are way more popular, way more smarter, better writers. They get rich off it. Good on you. Not me. To me, it was like, if I put this out there, it's a great, easy way for people to understand who Scott is. Here's who he is. Here's how he thinks about sales. Here's how he thinks about the mindset required to be successful in sales, right? So if anybody wanted to work for me, they would have a good understanding of like my process with my sales team. If anybody wanted to build a sales team and was looking for a way to coach their team, that can help them. If anybody thought about hiring me as a VP or hiring me as a consultant, they could learn a lot from it, right? And the same thing with the next book, which is about going from rep to manager. If anybody wants to learn how to do that, here's a guide. I saw a bit of a gap in the market there. Third book that I wrote, more than a number. It's about being a VP of sales. Again, I saw a gap in the market. So you start to become known for certain things, right? Like, oh, this guy wrote about this sales process. This guy writes about going from individual contributor to sales leadership. This is the guy who wrote the book about being a, a sales VP. And if it's not a crowded field, it's not that hard to get noticed. And again, those things become a calling card and almost act as like demand gen for whatever the real thing is you're selling. So for me, like the real thing is consulting services maybe, right? Or the real thing is I'm trying to sell tickets and sponsorships to surf and sales. Or the real thing is come to Thursday night sales, be a part of that community, right? So this like $10, $5 book that you put together that you put blood, sweat and tears into and probably if you self-publish, probably cost you ten dollars to $20,000 to get out there. You're not recouping that in book royalties. You're recouping it as this like, this is who Scott is, or this is who Nick is. This is how he thinks about these different things. And before I hire Nick to be my VP of marketing, before I hire Scott to be my VP of sales, before I go to this event or whatever, let me read this and see if I agree with what this person has to say, see if I vibe with them in any way. And that's why you do it. I've done it three times now. I'm not sure I have a fourth one in me because it's hell, frankly, but that's why I did it at least. 
Nice. I love that. That's awesome. So this next question I have, it's more something I'm curious about because it's when did you decide to monetize your personal brand? Because like, I feel like I'm at the like that tipping point where people are like, hey, why aren't you doing anything with this? You're just giving everything away for free. And I'm like, well, I'll always come back around. You know, I still have a full-time job. This is just like, this is a side hustle for me. Posting on LinkedIn and like everything that comes from it is a side hustle. But like for you, you know, I know you got like, Patreon, like when did you decide to like monetize your personal brand? Well, not all side hustles are monetizing personal brand, I don't think, right? So I was a VP of sales. I think I was in my fourth VP of sales job when I started consulting. That wasn't me monetizing my personal brand. That was me monetizing my knowledge and the things that I had built and had done, right? So I started thinking, okay, over here is my W-2 income. Over here is my side hustle income. So I just started thinking, how can I increase all this side hustle income to match my W-2? And if I can get to that place, holy shit, I can maybe cut the W-2 off and go all out on my own. And that's what I did. That's how I thought about it. So I took a very like de-risked type of approach, very methodical compared to other people who are just like, fuck it. I have no clients. I have no book of business, no network. I had all that stuff already. So I didn't start on the goal line. Like I started on the 40 yard line when I went all in on myself. The personal brand stuff, I think it started when I wrote the book. And because you know I'm leveraging my network now to help get attention and purchases to the book, I gave away, I don't even know, hundreds of books I probably gave away for free, mailed them all over the world to people just trying to put the word out there and, and that kind of thing. That was the first time. And then surfing sales, leveraging that event and selling tickets there. And then Thursday night sales, of course, and the podcast is leveraging the brand and that podcast has sponsorships. And the Patreon thing, you know, I only heard about Patreon a year ago-ish. I got a text message from my buddy and, and my neighbor here in Austin, Kevin Dorsey. He texted me at like 11 o'clock at night and he's like, Hey, check this thing out. I spent the last couple months building this. I'm, I'm going to launch it tomorrow. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? Patreon. And I'm like, I got to do this. So I've talked all the time about like shrinking the delta between idea and action. And I tend to move really quick on things and, and not overthink things. And I don't really care about things being perfect. I just want them to be done. So KD spent a couple months building this thing. I launched mine like 36 hours after I heard about it. And just kind of figured it out as I go. And, you know, I got 400 people in there now. I'm building a future sales leaders of tomorrow kind of community. And we, we do a couple of trainings a month and it's super cheap. It's 10 bucks a month, right? And it's just like a fun thing to do, but I monetize it. I'm not getting rich off of it at this stage in my life, but it's a couple thousand dollars, right? It pays my mortgage, right? Patreon pays my mortgage. Is that worth it? To me, I think the answer is yes, right? So, you know, it's this kind of gradual process. And it all starts with like, for me, it started with being good at your job, first of all. And then looking at what are all these different streams of income I can have so I can get to the point where I can kill my W-2 off and do all this stuff myself. And, you know, now I work on all these different projects. They all are different rivers funneling the same ocean of income. That's how I thought about it and went about it. 
That's awesome. It leaves hope for a lot of people because like, I've always wondered that question Like at that point. But I mean, I know you're a fan of Gatano as well. And Gatano is another thing. You've got to be good at your job for us. If you're just out there talking, you know, some BS of like, yeah. do this, 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 and like, you're not like executing at your job, then it's not going to work. So super great. It just lands hollow. Yeah. It lands hollow. I think it's worth noting on this be good at your job thing. Like, I probably had, I'm trying to do the math real quick, but I spent at least more than a decade having no personal brand and doing nothing with it. So think about that for a second. Like really wasn't until my fourth VP of sales job that I put any effort and attention into this. So I already had some level of expertise and credibility. And I think the danger for some people is they're six months into their first job as an SDR and they're trying to teach everybody how to sell and how to have the right mindset and how to do side hustles and all this kind of stuff. And you just look at them and they're on their third SGR job in three years. They have a little side hustle here and there. And it's like, man, you're probably making not very much money. And you're trying to preach to everybody else how to be a superstar. And it's like, <laughs> I don't think that's the right, right way to do it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, for sure. So I know we're coming up on time. I got a few final questions for you because one, you post a good amount of content. You've got over 72,000 followers on LinkedIn. So like, and I know you mentioned this a little bit, the source of your inspiration from like everyday stories of like what you post, but do you keep notes anywhere or like where are your ideas stored or like what's your workflow look like? Yeah, this is the part that, (laughs) this is the part that's against what everybody tells you to do. So number one, I don't post every day. If I don't have anything to say or can't think of anything, I just don't write anything, period. I am not one of these people that can like sit down on a schedule and create content, right? I'm not somebody who's like, okay, every Sunday at six o'clock, I write out all my LinkedIn posts for the week. Fuck that. I can't live that way. I, I don't do that at all. So if I'm not moved in some way, if the spirit doesn't compel me to post, I don't post, period. So where does the inspiration comes from? I mean, it just comes from living life, right? I have thoughts that come into my head or a conversation that I had with somebody else that sparks a thought. Half the time I'm authoring these posts on my phone while I'm at my kids practice or I'm waiting in line at some appointment or something like that. Like these are not thought out and super strategic kind of moves on my part, which I think for me, like helps me stay grounded and authentic and not feel like I'm a canned content creating machine. That's just not my thing. So I don't sit down. I don't strategize. I don't come up with a theme. I don't write out things in advance. I don't use a tool that sends out my posts every day at 7am. Right? I just don't do that. So it's like idea comes in your head in the shower, get out of the shower, post that thing straight away. That's how I operate. That's the way that I operate as well. It's like Good. we're in the minority, Nick. Exactly. Like if I spend more than five minutes thinking some type of content to write, then I've wasted more time than yeah. that. I would rather spend the time engaging with like my North Star is engagement. If I don't get engagement, like that's all that matters to me. Like I don't care if I get a hundred thousand views on something, if I'm connecting with the community and the audience that I'm building. That's all that matters. That's where like the actual like fun happens in the comment section versus the actual post itself. Yeah. I think a good rule of thumb is the KPIs around all this social stuff, whether it's views or likes or whatever, 
that stuff is not what should matter and shouldn't be your North Star. Do these things benefit other people in the community? Are they helpful to other people in the community? And are they helping other people achieve XYZ outcome? To me, that is number one North Star. Secondary North Star is, is this helping me achieve my desired outcome, right? And so if it doesn't come back to making money or growth in some way, it's not worth it, but it's got to benefit them. And then it's got to benefit me. And those are my North Stars. Nice. Amazing. Amazing. Scott, I know we're up on time, so I want to kind of give you a chance. Where can people go to connect with you? I know LinkedIn's the obvious one, but you know, if people want to learn more, feel free to plug anything you want to plug here. Well, every Thursday night, you can find me at thursdaynightsales.com for a couple hours every evening. We've got a Slack community with a few thousand people in there. I try to be super responsive on there as well. You mentioned LinkedIn already. You can learn more about the Surf and Sales Summit at surfandsales.com. Uh, Richard and I have our own podcast you can check out, the Surf and Sales Podcast. And if anybody's looking to build and grow their sales organization, looking for go-to-market help, you can check out what I do in my advisory and consulting roles at scottleaseconsulting.com. Perfect. Amazing. Scott, thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure to have you. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Nick. Thank you for listening to Rep Your Brand. Make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And if you learned something new today, it'd be great if you left us a review. We'll catch you next time.